podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's going on, FPL managers? Welcome to another video and podcast from Fantasy Football Scout. We're halfway through game week 33, but there's plenty of content still to be produced and digested ahead of game week 34. And this video, we're going to be solely focusing on Chelsea assets because they won their FA Cup semi-final and now have a double game week against West Ham and Man United in game week 34. So we're going to be, do a bit of a deep dive on those guys. And I'm accompanied by Ryan as per usual. How are you, buddy? Oh, Ted, I've seen better days. Uh, it's not been a good FPL game week thus far for me, nor has it been a good one for you. So I think we can kind of commiserate each other tonight or this morning, your time. Um, yeah, the decision to go Bruno Fernandes over Cristiano Ronaldo looks to be a foolish one at this stage. The, the hat-trick for Ronaldo, no involvement for Bruno, no bonus points either for playing centre-defensive midfield against Norwich at home. Oh, it stings, that one. It really stings. So, yeah, I'm not doing too well, but yeah, looking forward to talking Chelsea assets and focusing on 34 with you. Yeah, can we just get right ahead to game week 34? P pretty painful for me. Um, I'm on a net score of four points, and that says it all. Massive, <laughs> yeah, massive red arrow um, down to 23K. Uh, but I was, yeah, I was pretty down in the dumps last night. Have to Has to be said, Captain Blank with Sam Maximan, and he was like up top for the last 20 minutes. I was so sure he's going to get something. But it was a bit of a left field captain's choice. Um you know, Wood didn't do anything, so it is what it is. But anyway, I woke up this morning with a new sense of perspective, a new sense of positivity, a glass foot half full approach for uh, the rest of the season. I think I've got nine fixtures left to play with plenty of Liverpool, Chelsea and City uh, players left in the game week. And I'm sure the rest of you guys who have filled your teams with free hit players uh, with double game weeks, there's plenty, plenty of this game week to go as well. So plenty of opportunity to turn those reds into greens if you're having as just as bad as game week as, as I am. Um, but yeah, sorry to hear about your your Ronaldo 50-50 uh, call, Ryan. That's, it's just so unfortunate um, that the variance goes that way sometimes. Um, yeah. Bru Bruno was, was a very decent pick uh, alongside Ronaldo. So, you know, it, it is what it is. And we'll get over it by digesting Chelsea assets <laughs> in this video. Uh, but at least you're on a green arrow, mate. At least you're on a green. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm 114k, Ted. You're 23k. I gladly swap places with you and take the red arrow, my friend. <laughs> um, but yeah, the just just quickly on the Ronaldo Bruno captaincy call. I see a few people in the chat saying, you know, that they went the Bruno route as well. I'm I'm disappointed with myself. And I, I think it's more than hindsight. You know, we can easily look back and say, oh, Ronaldo scored the hat trick, Bruno got nothing. But as a Manchester United fan, I don't think I paid enough attention to the fact that we have so many injuries in midfield and we don't currently have any center defensive midfielders really besides Matic. And, and so I don't think I really thought about the implications and consequences for that on someone like Bruno and what he might be asked to do in terms of playing a different role. And yeah, I think this season more than most we've seen that there have been some huge captaincy swings think about the Ronaldo Bruno take one if you like all the way back in game week 21 I think it was there was the um Mikel Antonio and Jared Bowen swing the Salah versus Havertz gate back in game week eight or nine or whatever it was so there have been some absolutely punishing captaincy calls and if you've got it right you've sorted up the rankings and if you've got it wrong like we have 
so far you know you've you've taken a big hit yeah no absolutely and and i imagine if you if you retrospectively looked at your your calls for the rest of the season like reese james in gaming 28 we both had the the best of that i'm sure it's about 50 50 whether, whether you're on the good side or the bad side of those calls so you have to take it with a pinch of salt sometimes and, and take a holistic view on uh, on these sorts of things but yeah uh pretty painful in the current current game week but you know we'll move on and um be better managers but yes um just want to say hi to everyone in the chat chat box nice to see you mate uh and with your ronaldo points even though it wasn't a captain just a dad posting stuff hello to you um john cahill how uh, uh good to see you max r bernardi santos chris cullen yeah great to have you guys here keep keep posting keep asking your questions uh if we have time we'll we'll try and get onto it but the main focus of this stream will be to uh, have a look at which chelsea assets to bring in ahead of game week 34 we're going to have a look at which sort of permutations how do we need all defenders do we need all attackers one defender two attackers that sort of stuff so um we'll get we'll get into it in a moment um but first off just a word from our sponsors uh so rare academy is a fantasy game which allows you to pick um five players goalkeeper defender midfielder forward and a wild card position um from the top five European leagues. And if you do really well, you win these so rare cards, which are worth something. And uh, you can play the so rare game where you compete against other managers for prizes and stuff like that. It's like collecting FIFA Ultimate Team, that sort of stuff. So if you're into that sort of thing, check out so rare. I think the deadline, um, this is an old team from last week, but the deadline is on Friday, I think this week at the same time. So so check it out on so rare. I think it's uh, just Google so rare and you'll be able to find it. But swiftly on to um the main subject of the video which is uh chelsea and if you're not if it's literally going to be all chelsea we're not going to look at anything else today um so let's have a look at chelsea's opponents for um the rest of the season and this is a, just a graphic showing all of their opponents um they've got a uh, the, the number above the team that they're playing is the game week in which they're playing them. So West Ham in 34, Man United in 34, then Everton in 35, Wolves in 36, uh, Leicester in 37. Sorry, I missed Leeds in 36 for their double as well. Leicester in 37 and Watford in 38. And what this graphic shows is uh, we're marrying those teams, their expected goals, how good they are attacking and expected goals conceded uh, in the last six matches i.e. How, how bad they are at defending. And most of these teams are top left, which implies that they're not very good at attacking and they're pretty poor at defending, which is actually music to all Chelsea owners' uh, ears because it seems like they're all pretty good fixtures. In fact, the only team that's in the bottom right is actually pretty pretty surprising. Mm. And I, I think there is some fixture sway, there's some fixture skewness here because I think in the last six matches for Leeds, They've had a relatively easy run of it. So um, if you fast forward backwards um, to some of the more difficult opposition, I think Leeds probably sit quite firmly at the top of that, top of this graphic. So the main question here, I think this answers is, do we need lots of defenders from Chelsea? Do we need lots of attackers? Um, so this says to me, Ryan, that all the teams that they're playing are pretty defensively poor. So might be worth getting lots of attacking players and I, I know you could go for reese james and alonso maybe who have that attacking threat as well but does that make you think that you want two midfielders or a midfielder and a forward over let's say going for the likes of rudiger 
or, or another sort of centre-back with not too much attacking threat? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, when I think about Chelsea and their assets from an FPL perspective, I automatically go to their defensive assets, especially under Thomas Tuchel. We've seen them be more of a defensive team than an attacking team. But looking at their stats across the season, they're third best in the league, only behind Liverpool and City for expected goals. So they are still a decent attacking team. And more recently, I think we've started to see them improve their attacking output as well. There's been an interesting shift in formation, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. But yeah, it's a great question, Ted. Would I, looking at this, would I go for the double attack or the double defence? Looking at this, I, I would go for the double attack, especially because some of those teams that we see on screen, West Ham and Leicester, for example, they've got their eyes elsewhere at the moment. These are two teams who, Leicester in particular, are quite um, focused on their European commitments. We've seen mass rotation from Rodgers already. Um, West Ham defensively to begin the season were quite strong, but they've tailed off now. Their squad is relatively thin and playing midweek and weekend football, I just don't think that they've got the um, the depth in their squad to handle that. There's injuries now to key players. Uh, we've seen Issa Diop come in in recent game weeks. So West Ham aren't the defensive team we thought they were at the beginning of the season, nor are Wolves as well. So there's another kind of frail defensive team. So yeah, looking at this, I, I'm keen to double up in the Chelsea attack. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, this graphic made me think a little bit because I think the teams at the, at the further to the bottom, Everton, Watford, Man United and Leeds, if you ask me without any sort of statistical information about my perception of their defences, I would say that those four are really struggling for mm. to keep clean sheets, to to concede not many goals, and that that's been a theme throughout the season. Man United was so poor against Norwich defensively. Alex Tellers left so much space in behind, um, but this graph is showing that they're actually better, well, statistically speaking, than West Ham, Wolves, and Leicester. And yeah. so, if you couple that up with perception about the <laughs> the strength of the, all of these guys' defenses, then actually. It's a pretty, pretty good combination of teams to play for the rest of the season. So Chelsea should be pretty happy licking their lips for lots of goals until uh, game week 38. So I would agree with you. I, I think two attacking assets, maybe a midfielder and a forward or two midfielders is the way to go. And we're going to discuss all of the different options uh, in, in a moment. But even so, if you wanted to focus on two defenders like Alonso and, and James, for, for example. Uh, we're going to talk about Alonso later and about his legitimacy, about whether his minutes are secured for the rest of the season. Um, they're still attacking enough, aren't they, to to warrant some, uh, some um, investment from an attacking standpoint. So, yes, I, I think that basically the message from this graphic is expect goals for Chelsea mm. and um, try and target your, your double or your triple Chelsea um, to best make the most of that. So, yes. Um, I want to talk, first of all, about someone who's made a bit of a resurgency and is going around the community um, on Twitter with some, um, you know, there's a bit of, what's the word, knee-jerking around. And I think yeah. people are going, Timo Werner, I kind of want him in my team because it's kind of, kind yeah. of solves some forward issues. So I'm going to talk about him. Um, and before I ask your opinion about uh, him, Ryan, I've got a graphic up here which, which shows his profile of returns for the um, for the season. He's only got five attacking returns. 
Um, many of those have come recently, and his three big chance goals, uh, two of them came against Southampton uh, in their 6-0 win against uh, the Saints, but the other one also came against Southampton earlier in the season. So he's actually only scored against Southampton in the Premier League. But I guess the other thing we're missing is that he's played in the FA Cup semi-final and in the uh, second leg, the the Champions League against um, Real Madrid, both of which he was pretty... He was raising eyebrows about how, how decent he was looking. Uh, he looks lively. He scored some, some goals, set up some goals. His stats are looking okay. Uh, we, we always think he's going to struggle with conversion, Werner, but at the moment, that confidence is is peaking up a little bit. Um, so as we said at the bottom there, that shows the opponents for the next um, five game weeks until the end of the season. We, we know that they're poor defensively. This this graphic just shows that. So what is your... Um, What's your opinion about Timo Werner? And would you even contemplate bringing him into your FPL side? Yeah, I think to speak generally about Werner as a player and as an asset, and then we can talk more about whether we can fit him into our teams and the the structure that we currently have. Um, Talking about him kind of generally, Werner is, is for me, a player who gets a lot of big chances and his conversion rate historically has been quite low. But as I alluded to earlier, Chelsea have changed formation recently. Thomas Tuchel, his press conf- his comments after the Southampton fixture were really interesting. He was talking about how they've changed their shape uh, and it was really just for that game against Southampton. It was kind of tailor-made to play them. But they employed it again in the Champions League and also in the FA Cup. So they've gone for a 3-4-1-2 and that's the key difference, playing the one center attacking midfielder, if you like, with the two forwards. And he's got Mason Mount there with Werner and Havertz in front. And it's completely changed Werner as an FPL asset, I think. Um, His role, and I think it's had consequences for Mason Mount as well, he's kind of making those runs in behind, stretching opposition defences. And we've seen the consequences of that in his performance against Southampton. He got the two goals. As you've mentioned as well, he scored in the Champions League and he assisted in the FA Cup, he assisted Mason Mount's goal. So I think if Tuchel continues to play this formation, and I don't see any reason why he won't, I think Timo Werner is a really great option as an FPL asset because the way the team is playing now is much more suited to his strengths. Um, Yeah, I think kind of understanding that context makes him more attractive for sure. But at 8.6, he's difficult to squeeze in. If you've got, you know, three budget forwards, do you try and upgrade one of them? But if you've got someone like a Lacazette, he could solve a difficult question. Or maybe even if you've got Harry Kane, do you sell Harry Kane to drop down to Timo Werner? So as an FBL option, I think he's great, but I'm not sure if he fits into everyone's team structure at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be taking minus fours to to change around your team structure to bring someone like this when there would be an easier solution in Mount or Havertz um, in midfield to just quickly bring in. But if you are struggling with the likes of Lacazette um, and don't want to take two transfers to change a position, now I think Lacazette to a to a Timo Werner is actually a fairly decent move. He looks pretty lively, and, and we know he's a confidence player. He could have had four or five goals in that Southampton match. He missed so much. Like, he practically just had open goals, hit the post, 
um, you know, really, really, really easy opportunities. And, and you can see the big chance stat there in, in the middle of the graphic, um, the orange bar. It, Tony has been best for big chances in the last six matches with 1.5 big chances per appearance. Werner is on one big chance per appearance. So he's doing pretty well. And the conversion with that little white box on the left-hand side um, shows the proportion of his uh, big chances that he's been scoring. And roughly about 50% is about right. He's just under that, as you would expect from a, someone who struggles with conversion. But at the end of the day, if he's going to be having a lots and lots of easy chances, then and he's going to score maybe 40% of those, then absolutely fine. Um, good value for money. And if Chelsea, who are playing against these pretty vulnerable uh, opponents defensively, then he could um, ab absolutely have a field day. My only reservation with Werner is his minutes. And uh, two calls comments, as you said earlier, Ryan, well, were pretty encouraging. He said, maybe it's, you know, the tide has turned for Werner and, and we can he, he can be a part of that side for the rest of the season. But Lukaku's always there. He's going to have some minutes. He's definitely not shown he's, he's a key part of that side this season. Uh, he's having a, I don't know whether he's having a, a bit of a, a troubled relationship with Tuchel, but I don't think there's any real uh, worry for him to start starting 90 minutes here and there. And, mm. you know, as long as Werner keeps performing, I, I think it's promising that he might start the next few games for Chelsea. What do you think about his minutes risk? Yeah, I mean, if things aren't working out for Chelsea, then Timo Werner is probably one of the first players to be subbed. Um, I'm not sure about the fitness of guys like Christian Pulisic, uh, Hudson-Odoi, um, you know, even someone like Hakim Ziyech, how they kind of fit into this new formation as well. I mean, he started the three matches that they've played in this new formation. Kai Havertz has had a rest recently. He came off, I think he came off at halftime against Southampton and um, he was subbed, I think, as well in the FA Cup. And same for Mason Mount. So, yeah, the minutes risk, I don't know if it's as significant as what we might think, really, because Chelsea don't have European commitments. They've only got the FA Cup. Um, so I wouldn't be too concerned, actually, with Timo Werner's minutes. Lukaku will probably still get game time, as you say. He can't continue to bench Lukaku. But in this 3-4-1-2, I mean, if... if Lukaku comes in, he could very well take the place of Havertz um, and, and therefore maybe Havertz is equally at risk of minutes uh, rotation as, as Werner. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so Max R in the chat says, uh, I'd say the preferred front three is Havertz, Mount and Werner. I think we both would agree with you. And let's talk about those other two players. Let's move on to uh, Mr. Kai Havertz, who has actually been in pretty good form recently. Six of his 10 attacking returns have come in the last... Uh, four or five games, I think, since game week 28, I think it was. Um, he's been in really good form. Um, that profile of chances has been, since he started playing that that false nine role, uh, or at number nine, not a false nine, but uh, lots of big chances. That's where most of his goals are coming from, those five big chance returns. And if you look at the big chance stat in the middle, you compare that to Tony, as we saw with Werner, who's been... Um, the best in the league for in the last six matches for big chances. Havertz is pretty much there. 1.4 big chances per appearance compared to Tony's 1.5. He could easily be the best if you remove Tony. And that conversion for those big chances is actually really good, over 50%. So that's the difference between investing someone like Havertz and Werner. Havertz has been a little bit more clinical with his mm. easy opportunity. Um, opportunities, I should say. 
so so not too different a graphic because they've got the same opponents uh for the next uh five game weeks of course they play the same for the same team um who would you because they're the sort of similar profile are they they're often going to play up top together mm. ryan in in that um you know the the three two whatever the formation was uh, two at the top um they're mm. going to have lots of big chances both of them Werner and Havertz who is your preference at the moment out of Havertz and Werner yeah yeah my, my preference for that would be Havertz look at the middle bar that you've got there compared to Werner the amount of big chances and the conversion of the big chances that Havertz has compared to Werner I think in the last uh, six game weeks, Havertz tops the league for non-pen XG. He's had the same amount of shots in the box as Salah, just one less than Ronaldo as well. So this is a midfielder in FPL who's taking shots from similar positions to the likes of Salah and Ronaldo. His expected goals uh, is right up there as well, the best in the league, in fact. So for me, the preference is, is very clearly Havertz. He's cheaper. He's playing out of position probably a little bit safer in terms of minutes, although I'd still say it's close. Um, so yeah, habits for me out of those two. I think the the other point, the other very important point is that he is nailed. He's mo- much more nailed than Werner. Um, I think if he, even if he doesn't play as a nine, he probably plays as a 10. I'm going to credit Gianni that because I quite follow Gianni's advice for Chelsea. No, pretty knows what's going on, but I think he's just going to play most minutes for Chelsea until the end of the season. And there's not really much doubt in that. He's been in great form, uh, and pretty integral to the side. So he is the more secure pick for me. And the better stats say that. But of course, stats don't always mean something. When I, If I think about the comparison between Havertz and Werner in terms of momentum, in terms of confidence, um, I'd say that Werner probably has a, a bit of a better... Uh, momentum at the moment certainly in the non-premier league games i mean Havertz got subbed at half time i think it was against uh, southampton and Werner was left on to fill his boots Havertz got his goal of course but um it seems like they may be saving him but in terms of like Werner's been allowed to go out and and really go mm. for it and um has i don't know whether Tuchel was just allowing him to play in the non-Premier League games and maybe whether that changes when we get back to the Premier League and they play a few Premier League games in, in yeah. succession. That that remains to be seen. So that is the only doubt about Werner. I think Havertz is more secure and his stats are better. So if, if you need any reason to go Havertz over, over Werner, then that says it all, really. Um, so, yes, let's move on to our last player um, out of these front three. And then we're going to take uh, a really in-depth look at the whole Chelsea team uh, further on. And we've got Mason Mount here. And a lot of people uh, rating Mason Mount as the best attacking option at Chelsea. And you can see why. 19 attacking returns this season. That's that's nine more than Havertz. Um but the profile of his chances are pretty spread out. They're pretty varied. He comes at these points from all different angles, you know, assists, goals. Um, it, pretty pretty bursty, I'd say. Because remember when he scored, like, he got four attacking yeah. returns in one game, I think. Uh, I benefited from that, actually. He, he got a penalty. It was a pretty... I think it was against Norwich, actually. And those 
were all big chances and that's not what he's usually used to scoring he's usually from shooting from the edge of the box uh being fed in and, and taking a decent shot and he's been converting them recently in the cup in the in the champions league as well um obviously he got two goals and assist against uh, southampton so the thing that i he, he is not someone that compares to Werner and Havertz because he's likely to get less big chances. He's likely to get a different profile of chances. He's likely to create much more. He's more of a creative player. So we've got the big chances created stat here, which is what he's arguably best at. And I did have a play around to see which which of the, which of the stats were, but was best for him. This is the one. And Harry Kane is the best in the league in the last six matches. You compare that to Mason Mount for the price. He's very, very good. And his, his teammates have been converting those big chances he's been creating for them at over a 50% conversion rate. So very, very promising for Mount, but a completely different player, Ryan. And um, would you... You're going to get a little bit of a saving. I think he's 7.5 million compared to Havertz, who's 7.9. Is there any temptation to go Mount over Havertz? Yeah, definitely. Um, talking about chance creation, I think whilst the goal threat for Mason Mount might be a little reduced compared to Havertz, Mason Mount has scored 14 bonus points this season, Havertz with just the five. So his chance creation, it's Havertz doesn't register well for the... Um, BPS baseline compared to Mount. Uh, when Mount gets an assist or gets an attacking return, he's very likely to end up in the bonus points. Whereas Havertz kind of needs to get a brace or needs to kind of get a decent attacking return to end up in the bonus points. So I think we see Mason Mount's chances created and his creativity rewarded in the bonus points. And I think that's definitely something to consider. Um, a couple of people in the chat mentioning that Mason Mount probably has more roots to points. He's on set pieces. Chelsea are okay in terms of set pieces this season. It's not as if, you know, um, they're scoring lots of goals from set pieces. They're doing kind of mid-table. So um, take that, you know, as uh, as much as you want, I guess, in terms of their set piece threat. Um, but yeah, Mason Mount, I, I think he's, he's a good option. And in this new formation, I, I think he is emerging as a little bit of a different prospect in in terms of fpl um we're kind of seeing that lamp lampard-esque late arrival in the box timo Werner stretching the defensive line stretching uh fullbacks kind of pulling them out of position and mason mount taking advantage of that he arrived late to receive the ball scored against palace in the fa cup he did the same against real madrid as well in the champions league will we see that in the premier league i'm not sure but in this new formation, I think Mason Mount is is actually a better option than what we've seen across the season. Yeah, really interesting. Um, because he's playing as a number 10 almost, really, as an essential position rather than uh, a small forward almost, or maybe the right, right-hand side. And um, as you say, maybe he's just a better option. Um, but it's, it's interesting that he's got loads of these, um, loads of these returns recently against... Uh, in the likes of Real Madrid, no shabby side at all. Like the fact that we're playing really, really decent opposition for the rest of the season, Chelsea is really encouraging to attacking returns. And I think probably the conclusion is that you could go any any of these three forwards and be pretty happy, pretty confident of returns, um, because it seems like there's going to be a lots of chances to to convert, mm. and it you just need a player that's able to convert those chances and. 
you know, Mount and Havertz are particularly good at the moment. Werner is slightly worse for conversion, as you sort of expect. But if he's going to get more of those chances than Havertz and Mount, then he could be equally as good. And um, mm. I, I, th- I personally prefer Havertz. I think he's he's probably more secure and he's playing further forward. He's going to get his chances closer to goal. And I think that's more predictable from my point of view. But other people might have, have completely different perceptions. And Mount, at the end of the day, has almost double the amount of attacking returns than, than Havertz in the entire season and has done it more consistently. So it really is yeah. personal preference, I think. And depends on your team structure, uh, depends on your budget. But yeah, Havertz for me. I'd say. Who, so, who's, who's your favourite? Yeah, I was going to ask how do you how do you rank them? So you said Havertz is number one. What happens with the silver and the bronze medal? <laughs> um, goodness me! If I was being sensible, it, it has to go Havertz, Mount, and then Werner last. But again, it depends on your team structure, right? So if if you have you've got a problem to to fix in your forward line, then uh, Werner becomes the priority, and that's an easy solution. But if you, if you're one wild card and you need you need a you know, a preference. And I think Havertz is the most logical option. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I agree with you. Cool. Okay. Let's move away from these forwards and have a look at um, Chelsea as a whole. We've got a few charts looking at different statistics, different metrics to try and get uh, a sense of perspective about who is the priority here. Right. We've got big attempts versus small attempts here. Um, just going to start with the caveats. Okay. Every, when everyone looks at these charts, they look at top right and they go, wow. Alonso, what are you doing? Okay, massive caveat here. Um, he's only he's only had two appearances, two appearances in the last six game weeks, and um, big attempts are you know they're not they're not perfect. They they the the definition of a big chance is that it needs to be close to goal. There needs to be a clear line of sight between the ball and the goalkeeper, and um, you know it, it's it's pretty spurious. It's not a definition. It's not completely accurate. We've had this debate on Twitter. Um, when you look at XG values for big attempts, they're going to be varied across, um, you know, multiple XG values. Penalties, you know, 75% chance of scoring those, but you could equally get a big chance, which was close to goal, but wide out when it would be like a 10% chance of scoring. So I think that's probably what Alonso's had. Uh, we're going to look at the XGI uh, charts later on, and that, spoiler alert, does move Alonso down a bit. But nevertheless, let's talk about Alonso from a, an FPL asset approach ryan he, he's only he's only done 190 minutes since game week 22 in the premier league since that appear, since that 90 minutes he has played the second leg of the champions league 90 minutes there and he played in the second um in the semi-final of the fa cup so is this now can we expect him to play you know every single game until the end of the season i don't think there's much you know, competition for that left wing back spot. No, not really. Not not in the left wing back role. There's Malang Saar who can play left back if Tuchel plays with a four. But now he's kind of stumbled upon this new formation or this slight change in formation. He he hasn't kind of discovered this brand new formation. It's just been a slight tweak that seems to be working for Chelsea and it seems to be working for Alonso as well. I mean, he played quite well in that Champions League game against Madrid. Um, he backed it up again against Crystal Palace and um, the, the way he took his goal against Southampton just kind of reminded us of what a, an explosive FPL asset he can be. Alonso, I, I don't think if you bring him in, you can expect him to play every single game between now and the end of the season. 
Um, I think unlike someone like Rudiger, who's who's definitely more nailed, I think Alonso will miss out one or two fixtures. And, and you kind of feel like he's just one bad performance away from being dropped again. I don't know if he's completely got Tuchel's trust, but at the beginning of the season, there are all those comments about how Alonso trained pre-season, um, how he had his form, and, and Tuchel said, how can I drop Alonso for Chilwell when Alonso has been playing so well and so integral to how the team was performing? So I think if you buy Alonso, he's a great pick. I think he, he'll, he will do well, but there's that risk, and you have to accept the risk going in is that if he has a bad game or if he doesn't play well or um, Tuchel changes formation, then he could very well be out of the team. So, yeah, it depends on your risk appetite. For me personally, I really like Alonso and I am tempted at just 5.5. Yeah, 5.5, decent price. And I agree with you. I think it's sensible to say that he probably won't play every single game because there is a chance with their schedule. It's only the FA Cup final they've got to to play outside of Premier League because, of course, they're out of Europe. So there's not going to be too much rotation. But at the end of the day, they're still playing, you know, four or five games, uh, four, sorry, four or five days uh, gap between each game so there could easily be rotation and um but yeah i think i think alonso is a decent a decent option we, we've seen his attacking threat um you know in previous seasons absolute beast in fpl recently that's died off a little bit but nevertheless he he got his goal um uh, against southampton it was a big chance uh, i think he scored against southampton wasn't it yeah pretty sure um I might have got that wrong. I need to just double check. That. Yeah, he did. He did score against Southampton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure he did. Um, yeah. So yes, he, he's he's been converting pretty well, and th- mm. this is this is a definitely a, a looking at the player through rose tinted spectacles. I, I don't think he's he's quite better than Havertz in terms of an attacking sense, but there's just the skewness of the stats, and he's as I said, he's only been playing uh, two attacking, sorry, two appearances in the last um, six game weeks. So. Uh, take it with a pinch of salt. But let's look at these other guys. Havertz top right here, and this sort of backs up what we were looking at the stats earlier. Uh, really, really good for conversion, 0.8 big, big returns, 0.4 small returns in the last six game weeks. That's compared to Mount's 0.6, 0.4, much better uh, conversion than Mount. And then third, it, it's basically our order, Ryan, isn't it? Mm, Havertz yeah, it first, is. Mount second, Werner third. I think that's the logical approach in terms of stats. But... Mm. Again, if you want to bring like the momentum, the confidence element in, maybe that uh, changes somewhat. Um, the thing that really surprises me, uh, Ryan, is is Reese James' position here, and yeah. I, I want to have a chat about Reese James because I think what he's been the most popular Chelsea asset for the majority of the season, um, an absolute uh, beast going forwards, attacking wise. Um, just he scored in loads of goals, uh, loads of assists, but he's had his injury problems. And since his um, goal and an assist and clean sheet in game week twenty eight, when we when we captained yeah. him, mm. which was which was amazing, but he went off, missed the second game, and then since then he he, he got subbed on at Southampton and played right centre back, and since then he's also played right centre back in the other matches, which for me limits his attacking appeal somewhat, um, and probably is representing in his numbers here to some extent now mm. do we think that that is a trend that's going to continue or is it just too cool catering for some pretty heavy left wing opponents that yeah. reese james can have in his pocket who knows yeah well i mean 
Tuchel has done it in the past, hasn't he? Particularly when they've played Leicester, that's always stood out in my mind. Jamie Vardy with pace getting in behind. Reese James has shifted to a right-sided centre-back in those matches. And I think he's, he did that in the FA Cup. Wilfred Zaha playing kind of that left-sided forward player who has pace to break, counter-attack and get in behind. Reese James played right centre-back. So for me, I think Tuchel does it um, as a kind of a tactic to nullify the threat of the opposition. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether Reese James starts against Arsenal this game week, whether he plays right wing back or whether he plays at right centre-back. I don't particularly think Arsenal have any uh, threats in terms of pace in behind and Kedia offered a little bit more than what Lacazette can do. But I just don't see the need for Reese James to play right-sided centre-back against Arsenal. So if he does play there, I'll be worried. But for me, I think that tactic is very much opposition dependent. Uh, I wouldn't expect to see Reese James playing right-sided right centre-back moving forward. Um, and I, I think he will return to his right wing back. But yeah, minutes will continue to be managed. And that double game week in 36, I believe it is, for Chelsea when they play Wolves and Leeds, that Leeds fixture comes three days before the FA Cup final. So that's a single game week for Reese James, really. So um, I, I don't know if I'd be rushing to bring him into my team if you've got him. He's a, he's a great hold. But yeah, I, I think if I didn't have Reese James, I'd be tempted to look elsewhere. What are your thoughts on Reese James? I don't know. There, there's something nagging in my head about um, since he's come back from injury. I wonder whether there's been a conversation with Tuchel about um, yeah. why am I getting injured? Is it because of the position that I'm playing? Is it the requirement to get forward? Is it the requirement to get back? The excess strain on on those limbs. Maybe the right centre-back position has been sort of a compromise to say, you're going to get your minutes till the end of the season. It's going to be a less demanding position to play. Uh, you can still get forward and cross the ball in occasionally, like maybe Rudiger does. Um, uh, this is, you know, this is massive speculation as well. Like, I really don't know. That could be complete rubbish. Um, I'm sure Chelsea fans know about it more than me. And you could be absolutely spot on, Ryan, that it could be opponent dependent. Um, but at the end of the day, if he starts playing right wing back again and people are reserved about bringing him into our, into our teams, into their teams, then that's great. He make, He's more of a differential. But you're right. If he, if he continues playing right centre back, it's a bit of a worry for attacking returns. It has to be said. Yeah, for sure. Interesting point around the injuries. We've seen the same with Regulon at Spurs. He's the demands of playing that left wing back position week in, week out. He's broken down multiple times, Regulon, um, physically this season. And maybe there's something similar in it for Reese James. It's speculation, as you say, um, but it's something to keep an eye on. I, that's why I, I did say I'm intrigued to see how he plays against Arsenal, whether he, he starts and then whether he plays right wing back or right centre back. Yeah, yeah. But after that, as we've seen, the fixture difficulty decreases massively in terms of, uh, you know, we're expecting goals from this Chelsea team. And I think probably Reese James will want to be among that. So I wonder whether he starts changing or shifting position back to that right wing back for those easier opponents. Fingers crossed that's the case, because I think we both own him. And mm. we'd like some more attacking returns, please, Reese. That would be really, really nice. And um, yeah, if you're going to dodge all of those points potentials then he makes for a really sort of expensive Rudiger well not really expensive he's only about 0.1 more expensive but 
at the end of the day, I want attacking players from this Chelsea team, not someone who's mm. going to sit back. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to move on to the next graph because the next graph is XGI, but it's exactly the same as this. I just want to compare the two graphs. Watch where Alonso moves. He moves from top right to slightly bottom left here. And it's, it's a good indication that maybe XG is slightly more, it's definitely more accurate. And it's maybe showing that the chances that he's had in the limited amount of time that he's played aren't quite as good as they may seem. Um, but the consistency's here. Right, so let me just, just talk through the chart before I talk about the consistencies. We've got the expected goal involvements across the, the bottom per appearance. So that's, you know, the amount of XG they've got per game. And then across the top, we've got the XGI per attempt. That's the average uh, quality of that uh, chances created or shot mm. um, out of all of their different chances. So it's basically the same as the big attempt, small attempt. It's just going to be slightly different because XGI is a much different model than big and small attempts. And some would argue a much more accurate model. So we've still got We've got Havertz top right here. Um, the number above Havertz's name is the minutes per appearance. So 84 minutes per appearance. You can see that he's pretty nailed for yeah. most of these appearances. Five attacking, sorry, five appearances in his last six game weeks. So pretty nailed. Uh, and compared up to Alonso, he's played 74 minutes. I think it was a 54 minute appearance and a 90 minute appearance. So take that with a pinch of salt. Um, but Reese James there, 47 minutes per appearance, three appearances, not very good, obviously, for uh, consistency, but he has had his injury worries. Um, so you just talk about the consistencies here. Havertz is um, pretty much exactly the same position. Um, really, really good. Uh, probably, arguably, the best Chelsea attacking asset. Uh, we've got Werner there. Pulisic does a bit better on this chart. Loftus-Cheek does a bit better on this chart. I'm not sure anyone in their right mind is going to be bringing in Loftus-Cheek, though. Um, the interesting thing is that Mason Mount moves down on, mm. on this chart and and I think XG really punishes those players yeah. that shoot from further out and maybe construct all of these different chances with more quantity but less quality and um, maybe that limits Mount's appeal I know there's maybe some stats purists that say I'm talking nonsense but at the end of the day I want I want my players to be having these easy opportunities like Havertz and Werner are uh, that's a little bit more predictive for me in short periods. Like we're, we're talking about five game weeks here, not the entire season. And am I more, would I be more secure about having a player that has their shots five yards away from goal than at the edge of the box? I, I'd say so. And that's the one doubt I have about Mount. Yes, he has a variety of different avenues to get FPL points, but how likely are those going to happen in this short time frame i do wonder so does that put you off mason mount a little bit ryan yeah so is, is this just expected goals or expected assists as well yeah expected assists as well so xgi yeah. is xg plus yeah. xa so yeah sure yeah 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 it does put me off mason mount a little bit actually it's um it kind of yeah confirms that habits is a fantastic option and as i mentioned to you pre-stream that's not what i wanted to be thinking going into this game week didn't really want to be going down the path of Havertz, but the statistics there are pretty overwhelming at the moment. Mason Mount, yeah, a, a lot lower in terms of the quality of expected goal involvement that compared to someone like Timo Werner. 
yeah, I'm not really sure what we can attribute that to. He does offer more of an assist threat than a goal threat. Um, and a lot of those assists or chances created are coming from set pieces or crosses, which inherently have a lower expected goal value than playing someone through and, you know, one-on-one with a keeper. So I think that might be partly the cause of him being a little bit lower. But um, yeah, a, a big difference between Timo Werner and Mason Mount. What are your thoughts on on the reason behind that? Yeah, it's, it's always... Because I've been doing these sorts of stats throughout the season, like last few seasons, actually. Mount always takes up these positions and it's because maybe the chances are devalued somewhat. Um, but when his teammates start converting the chances he creates for them, it also raises his profile. But then it also creates a sense of overperformance in this Chelsea team, which is fine because they're all very good players. And once these all of these players around him start scoring, then at the same time, Mount becomes a better FPL option. In recent years, he struggled with just creating tons and tons of chances for Chelsea and then really struggling to convert them. And that's been a theme throughout the last few seasons. So it's nice that Chelsea are actually you know, doing really well at the moment because it does raise Mount's potential. But in terms of an XGI uh, model, I think it does limit those um, th- that uh, enthusiasm for Mount somewhat. Don't let it put you off too much. I think he's still an outstanding player. Maybe just Werner and Havertz are a little bit more contingent to the predictiveness of XG and, and that sort of stuff. So I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I think they're all still fairly decent option. We're just looking at them through different lenses at the end of the day. Mm. I think this another thing this chart, this graph highlights quite well is the minutes difference between Timo Werner and Mason Mount. So 64 minutes per appearance for Werner 80 minutes per appearance for Mason Mount. So we were talking earlier about the expected minutes of Werner, Habits and Mount. They are the three, I think, from an attacking perspective that people are considering. And Werner quite clearly has the greatest threat in terms of expected minutes. Mason Mount, 80 minutes. Habits, 84. They seem to be the most nailed attackers in this team. I mean, if we talk about nailed, we haven't talked about Antonio Rudiger yet. Yeah, um, 94, look at that Yeah, no, I didn't even think you could have 94 minutes per appearance. I thought it was capped at 90, but these, these stats are from Fantasy Football Scout members area. Um, go check it out if, you, if you're a member, uh, if you want to sign up to that sort of stuff and get access to this sort of um, this data. But anyway, yeah, 94 minutes, that's, that's the biggest out of this Chelsea team. He's pretty nailed. He's the most nailed player for minutes, um, but he's, you know, arguably the worst for expected goal involvements. And, you know, he's had plenty of shots, but they probably all carry a value of about, you know, 0.01 XGI or something. He scored one the other day. It was an absolute rocket. Not going to expect him to score another one until the end of the season, I don't think. But who knows? Anything can happen. Mm. Um, if If you're searching for some security for minutes, Rudiger is your man, undoubtedly. But you are definitely compromising on the expectation for... Uh, attacking returns. Yeah, I, I think with Rudiger, you're paying a lot for a clean sheet. And looking at the fixtures ahead, how many clean sheets do you see? I, I think Chelsea will struggle to keep a clean sheet against West Ham and Manchester United. There's a clean sheet potential, I think, quite strong against Everton, Wolves and Leeds in 35-36. But the double in 34 doesn't look great from a clean sheet perspective. Uh, I mean, when we looked at the chart right at the start, we looked at the XG for their opponents. 
It was only really Leeds, West Ham and Man United which were, who were setting the pace. But mm. again, they were sort of mediocre. All the other teams, like all, the, all of the premium teams, like te- uh, Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, City, they're all on the bottom right of that chart. Loads of XG, very little XG con- conceded. All of the others had pretty low XG values. And I think if you, if you look at it, from a top-down view, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for clean sheets. So having two in defence, but maybe going for Reese James and Alonso, if Reese James starts playing right wing back again, I think that's absolutely fine. You're going to get the best best of both worlds. I just think yeah. going for Rudiger is a tiny little bit boring. I know you're going to get more security of minutes, but the upside of that versus the rotation threat for those other players, I think is minimal. And yeah. as we sort of discussed earlier, Alonso seems to be pretty nailed until the end of the season now. Uh, he was on set pieces as well against Real Madrid. Um, if he misses out one game or, you know, 45 minutes even for the rest of the season, yeah. I don't think going Rudiger over Alonso is that much of an upside, to be completely honest. Yeah, for sure. We're talking Chelsea here, but someone who springs to mind as a comparison for Rudiger is Laporte from City. He's a little bit cheaper, not a lot, but a little bit cheaper. And I think he offers more in terms of goal threat as well. So I would be going for someone like a Laporte over Rudiger. And when we're thinking about Chelsea, I would go for Reese James and Alonso over Rudiger as well, which I think is what you've kind of suggested there. Yeah, I think so. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit biased because that's what I've done in my FPL team. But uh, just just going off the the content that we've got here, the the, the chart, it's sort of that's what that's what it suggests. That's what we should probably go with. Um, but at the end of the day, Rudiger's got you know headed attempts from corners. He scored a few over the season. Um, anything can happen in FPL. We're trying our best to predict it, but mm. at the end of the day, we're going to suffer some variance. So. I just want to look at uh, one more chart uh, from these Chelsea players before we look at the shot map for some of these attacking options. Um, This is the over and under performance one. So we're marrying the XGI, the expected goal involvements, that's expected goals and expected assists across the bottom, and just looking at how many goals and assists per appearance they've got. That little dotted line just shows the... um, even approach. So anything over above that dotted line means that they're overperforming. It means that they're scoring more goals and assists than it's than it's is expected of them. Anything under that, they are underperforming. They're scoring fewer goals and assists than than expected. And it's interesting to see here that all of these Chelsea players that we're considering are actually scoring more goals and assists that, than has been expected of them, which shows that they're in really good form. And um, you know, it raises, as I said earlier, the profile of Mason Mount, who is more involved in everything that this Chelsea team does. Um, so it just goes to show you can look at, you know, the prospect of these players in different ways. And sometimes it will show, oh, Mason Mount's not a great option. And then you look at this and you go, actually, Mason Mount's in the centre of everything in an overperforming Chelsea team. Yeah. I want him. Mm. Um so, so what do you make of this, Ryan? Havertz top right again, um, overperforming. But you know, we we, we talk about overperformances and, and a bad thing, but you have to allow for conversion and the ability of a player. We're looking at XGI as well. So, yeah, is it encouraging for from a Mason Mount perspective? Yeah, it is. I think this is really great graph to highlight. Yeah, Mason Mount's appeal because, as you say, 
when he is creating chances for his teammates, but they're below the dotted line, as in they're underperforming their expected output, then that reduces his appeal because you're thinking, hang on, Mason Mount is creating some great chances, but no one is there to finish. I was thinking about you as I was watching the Newcastle highlights because St. Maximum was creating some great chances. And I know you captained him, but he was creating them for guys like Almiron and Joel Linton who couldn't finish them. And it kind of, you know, nullifies their appeal or their output as FPL options. So Mason Mount right now is playing in a team where he's creating chances, he's scoring goals, his teammates are scoring the goals that he is assisting as well, which, you know, as you've said, and as this graph highlights, it um, significantly um, improves Mason Mount's appeal as an FPL option. Um, yeah, so I think this this graph is great for, for highlighting that. Yeah, it's basically just to add as a uh, an unbiased... Um alternate view to the last one which really hindered mm. his his um you know expectation for points he is the most overperforming player here the distance from that dotted line is the greatest and it just highlights that if his as you said Ryan that if his teammates are doing really well with the conversion he's going to be there to be assisting them and all of his limited xgi figures for the chances created and stuff will be overperformed and goals and assists will be converted from his chances. So it just goes to show XGI isn't everything. It's the conversion that really matters. And if there's a trend in that team doing really well, just get the player that's most involved. So, yeah. yeah. Does, does it change your priority list, having having a look at this? Does does it raise Mason Mount's profile for you above Havertz? Uh, I don't know if it does. Um, I, I think at the moment, I'm undecided as to whether I have a preference for Havertz or Mason Mount. I really do want to watch that game against Arsenal because since they have shifted to that 3-4-1-2, as we've already spoken about, um, I think Mason Mount has emerged. Uh, he's kind of gone up another level. He's, he's scored the goal in the Champions League, goal in the FA Cup as well. He scored against Southampton, that's three goals in a row. And it's not just, you know, fluky kind of positioning. He's making these intentional runs into the box arriving late um and so i'm wondering if that's going to continue with mason mount and if it does then i think i would probably put mason mount above Havertz. but for me right now it's it's very difficult to split the two yeah yeah but i think the choice is there i don't think either are bad options and if you wanted to go there either absolutely fine with that but let's get the last view which is the shot map uh for these guys um, it's just a roller coaster for Mason Mount because he doesn't look particularly good on this one, actually. This is the average shot distance from goal uh, in tiered approach. So we've got Havertz there who's shooting on average within 10 yards. Uh, but then you compare that to Rudiger, who is shooting over 16 yards away. I think it might even be like 20 yards uh, along the lines of Kovacic and Ziyech. Um, you've got the number of shots that they've done in the last uh, six game weeks underneath their names. Havertz with 15 shots, mm. uh, Werner with 12, Mount with 12, Rudiger with 11, and then the other guys a little bit lower than that. But the profile of those shots is distributed around the name in the green, red, and amber um, sort of donut chart. And the green means shot on target. The uh, yellow means shot blocked. The red means shot off target 
and the little white box around the green bit shows the amount that they've actually converted from their shots on target. If we start with Havertz, pretty healthy conversion rate from his shots on target. He's shooting closest to goal, hardly any shots off target, hardly any shots blocked. Really, really encouraging. When you compare that to maybe a Mason Mount, he's shooting a little bit further out more more of his shots are going to be off target, I think, just because of the nature of that average yeah. shot distance. Um, when you compare those to Werner, I think this is a little bit of a bad painting of Werner. And I, I think you could sort of intuitively guess this to a certain extent, but a lot more of his shots are blocked, a lot are off target, and he's shooting fairly close to goal still. I wonder whether he still has the same aptitude for shifting and getting a shot off or the the accuracy of his shots slightly worse than Havertz um, for someone who has a very similar sort of average shot distance. So does that make you worry about Werner a little bit? Yeah, it does. I mean, he's taken 12 shots from that range. You'd expect him to have a higher proportion of shots on target or at least, you know, a reduced amount of shots that are off target from, from shooting inside the 18 yard box. He's almost had equal amount of shots off target as he's had shots on target. So yeah, yeah that's a little worrying seeing Werner there. Um, also noticing Alonso quite high up in this graph. There's Reese James, of course. Um, yeah, and encouraging to see Habits taking his shots from that close in within the 10 yard kind of range. So yeah, a, a, a really interesting contrast between Havertz and Werner in particular. Um, we were talking before about which one do you prefer, Havertz or Werner? I think throughout the stream tonight, pretty much every graphic we've seen, and in, in particular this one, is, has pointed me towards Havertz over Werner. I think, yeah, I think he's more the logical option. I think Werner, if you think that anything in the past in the Premier League is not predictive of what happens in the future, maybe we're neglecting the Champions League matches and the FA Cup matches. If you think that those additional bits of information adds to Werner's appeal, then you know completely ignore these charts and just go with him. He's more of the upside um, shout, I'd say. But speaking from experience, from six game weeks ago, Havertz seems like the most logical one. Certainly mm. in terms of goal threat, but as we've seen in in the other charts, Mason Mount's appeal is also pretty varied in this Chelsea team. Um, I just wanted to talk about the uh, Alonso and Reese James here because I think Reese James, quite a lot of those shots have come uh, mainly in game week twenty eight, and um, that's when he got his goal. Uh, the only shot on target in that match for him was converted. Uh, and it's a rainbow otherwise the three shots one was blocked one was off target so uh, you can't expect too many shots from Reese James but obviously he had limited minutes and this isn't adjusted per minute or per appearance it's just three shots and if he continues to play right center back then presumably that average shot distance is going to start getting you know lengthier and lengthier he's going to start shooting uh more and more where Rudiger is um which isn't something you don't want but as, as mm. we've seen with Reese James, you know, the, the assist appeal is, is definitely there. Alonso is the more interesting one for me. I think Alonso creeps in at that back post. Uh, we know that he's going to be playing left wing back uh, whenever he plays. He got his goal against Southampton for exactly the same sort of reason. He, he got a goal in... in um, did he score in the um, semi semi-final of the FA Cup? 
Um, no, but he scored it? in the Champions League, but then it was ruled out. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. quite a decent strike as well. I it think that's the one I'm shot. thinking of. Yeah. yeah. So late runs, shots from the from inside the box, maybe in the left-hand side, uh, does raise his appeal. As being mm. on set, set pieces, if that continues, that's that's also pretty decent. But yeah, from a from goal threat, we know what Alonso can do. He normally runs in front of the near post sometimes when someone's crossing yeah. the ball. So yeah, I, I'm quite happy about owning Alonso. We'll come to our teams in a minute. Um, but yeah, just a final note on the on the three that we're really considering: Havertz, Werner, and Mount. I, as we said, all of these different uh, graphics really point us to different ones at different times. And you know, I think to sum up, Werner is the upside pick. Havertz is the logical pick for goal threat. Mount is the pick that's going to be involved in more of Chelsea's goals. And, you know, pick your, pick your poison at the end of the day. Yeah. I just a quick note on the Reese James Alonso comparison, which you were talking about. I just think this graph highlights the, the role that Thomas Tuchel wants his wing backs to play. He wants them to be taking shots within 14 12 yards out right we've got reese james and alonso there a lot of the stream we've talked about the double chelsea attack you kind of are buying a ticket to the chelsea attack if you go for a reese james or alonso because look at where they're shooting from so it's an it's a really interesting graphic to highlight the role of the chelsea wing back I mean, when Chilwell was fit, remember yes. that we were con- we were just saying that Reese James and Chilwell were the most important Chelsea assets. They just mm. they were almost playing as forwards, just so so far up. Uh, maybe Alonso will emulate the same as Chilwell. I mean, he you know we know how attacking Alonso is from a perception point of view. So yeah, completely agree with you. You don't just have to go Havertz, Werner, and Mount to make the most of these attacking appeals. Alonso and Reese James also add to it. Assuming Reese James moves back to right wing back, my fingers crossed for that. Mm. Um, but yes, let's finish the stream by having a look at our game week thirty four bus teams, and we'll start with you, Ryan. We've got your team up here: three five two, two doublers, Reese James and Bruno Fernandez, captain. Um, yeah, Bruno Fernandez had a car crash this morning. Did you see that? Yeah, he yeah, did. I, he escaped he, unscathed. It was just a, a bit of a, a prang into his Porsche. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I saw the photos. He seemed absolutely fine. Maybe he yeah. was just trying to um, satirise his performance. Um, yeah, he was standing Norwich. next to my game week score. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you've 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 opted for Fernandez captain. Arsenal and Chelsea; those are pretty difficult fixtures. Any reservations about uh, captain Fernandez? Yeah, at this stage, I mean, I think I want to see what Reese James does against Arsenal. Whether he starts that match, what are his minutes like? Because he's definitely consideration for captain for me. I think the fixture against Arsenal is all right from Manchester United. Arsenal have lost three in a row now. I was reading this article today about Arsenal, the percentage of games they've lost when they've conceded the first goal, something like 88%, which is the worst or thereabouts in the league. So they're, they're you know, struggling at the moment, Arsenal. have got quite a few injuries as well. We know about that. So, yeah, I, I don't think that fixture against Arsenal is too difficult for United from an attacking point of view. Of course, the fixture against Chelsea is tough. Um, but it's a double nonetheless. Now I'm frustrated at myself because last game week, all week I was talking about going Harry Kane to Ronaldo um, and rolling the second free transfer. And that would have meant, forget the points for Ronaldo. It just would have meant that my team this week was going to be in a much better position. I would have had two free transfers. 
And truthfully, I would have been okay with selling Ronaldo to someone like a Timo Werner in this game week because it would have freed up a lot of funds. It would have only been one free transfer. And then I could use that money to upgrade some of the other positions in my team. I mean, I'm still holding on to Doherty and, and Cody as well in my defense. So those are some areas that I need to address. But looking at my team right now, I'm pretty sure I'll be taking a hit. Um, the size of that hit, I'm undecided. The players that I really want, I'd like to have at least one more Chelsea player, whether that's a Havertz, a Mason Mount, or an Alonso. Um, at this stage, I'm leaning more towards a Havertz or a Mount. I've already got the Chelsea defender there. I don't know if I need to add a second, particularly for a hit. But the who question you- is... Who would you remove from your midfield to accommodate yeah, that Chelsea yeah. player? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I could, I'd be quite happy to sell Barnes, to be honest. I'm really frustrated with Leicester. The progression in Europe, I, I thought I'd get on Barnes early. But Leicester progressing in Europe, I think there's going to be continued rotation for guys like Barnes and Madison. You know, I think we'll continue to see these one-point cameos off the bench. And so... I'd be quite content to sell Barnes to a Havertz or a Mount, and I can fund that by downgrading anyone on my bench, a Veghorst to a Gelhart, for example, a Cody to a 3.8 or 3.9 defender. Um, yeah, so that's one option, Barnes to Havertz or Mount, and then fund that by downgrading someone on my bench, and that would be a minus four. But then I'm also looking, Ted, we've talked about Chelsea in this stream, but I'm also looking at City playing Watford at home. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. And I'm petrified of going into that fixture without a City player, at least one. So I'm even thinking about a Cancelo or a Foden in. And to make all these changes, I've got to free up funds. So I I want to hear your thoughts. If I'm going to downgrade one of my cash cows in this team thinking about fernandez even though he's got a double thinking about son i can always get son back for instance if i sold son i could get son back by going bruno to son the following week it's a bit of hokey cokey but that's an option so those are my kind of two cash cows but i don't feel comfortable about removing either so i've got a lot of transfers i want to make not much cash to do it so just to confirm, you don't have any chips left for the rest of the season, do you? Yeah. Correct. So I, I think if you started removing the likes of Son, I don't think you'd be bringing him back because mm. game week 36, where Spurs have a pretty difficult double game week, I think it's Arsenal and uh, City, is it? Arsenal Liverpool, Liverpool, I think. Arsenal and Liverpool. Yeah. Mm. It's a pretty tough double. I'm not sure you'd be bringing him back in advance of that when there are other teams to focus on. So... I, I think you should keep Son. I think that Leicester game, is it in 35? Yeah. Is pretty key. I, I think Leicester, that's in between their Europa games. They're yeah. going to be prioritising that, of course. And I think they're going to be fielding a weak team in 35. And I, I think we all need Spurs representatives for that game because arguably, we've just seen on the graphic earlier that Leeds mm. XG conceded is arguably some of the worst in the league. So, Son could definitely fill his boots in that game. Um, I know where you're coming from. You want to cover everything in specific game weeks, but thinking about it objectively, it's probably not the optimal move. And I, 
you know, if if you wanted to to move stuff around to get Havertz this week, and the only way you could do it is by removing Fernandez, would that be the end of the world? I know it's a bit of a sideways move in terms of doubles, but you're also uh, shaping the Chelsea double for 36 and making the most of the Everton fixture in 35. Yeah. Um, it would also enable you to upgrade your your bench Doherty to a premium midfielder, such as Cancelo or another Chelsea player as Alonso. Um, and I know we're trying to maximise these these double game weeks in, you know, in isolation. But Fernandez to Havertz and Doherty to Alonso or Doherty to Cancelo or something like that isn't a bad idea in my book. Uh, but I think I would probably prioritise, as you said earlier, move, removing Barnes because I'm not sure he's really on it at the moment. And I think Leicester are going to struggle with this rotation. Um, how much money do you have in the bank? Uh, 0.3, so not much. I mean, 0. I could 3. do Fernandez to Havertz, Barnes to Mount. That's going all in on the Chelsea double game week. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not... Early in the week... I still need to kind of work out who's the bigger priority to bring in. Is it a second and third Chelsea player or is it a third Liverpool player like a Robertson or is it a Cancelo or a, or a city midfielder in Foden? So those are the main considerations and I need to work out the priority. I think Chelsea's more of a priority this week, obviously, because they double. Um, but I, I don't just... think City... Sorry to interrupt you. I, I don't think I would pre-prioritise Robertson right now because I think there's a major chance that he gets rested for the Everton match. Um, you know, that's just pure conjecture. But at the end of the day, it's it's being um, intertwined with all of these other important fixtures. And yes, the, the the Merseyside derby, the Liverpool derby, might might have been a really you know important fixture recently. But with Everton's form, I, I think Liverpool could probably try and win that fairly easily without the need for Robertson. So yeah. I'd be prioritizing other other fixtures just just from my perspective, my two cents. Yeah, yeah. And Simicast is a great replacement. I mean, you don't lose oh of course you lose a little bit because Robbo's world class, but you don't lose that much, do you, with Simicast? Yeah. Mm. Um but yeah, I mean food for four, because <laughs> removing one double game week player to facilitate two others isn't the bad the worst move especially as it also future proofs your moves for the next two or three game weeks in terms of capitalizing upon chelsea's 34 double and 36 double yeah so if that's the only way you can do it then fine otherwise it's going to have to be you're going to have to move veg horse down to a gelhart and then barnes up to i don't know a havertz or something and i think that's other yeah. that's a legitimate move as well but you probably you know that's arguably a better move um but you know it, it, it's I, I think always is it taking a hit this week by the way yeah so i've only got one free transfer yeah yeah so i always find like taking a hit with those transfers just to facilitate one player like mm. you're removing veghorst and barnes just mm. to get Havertz. yeah really that's right that's right yeah it's, it feels yeah suboptimal because Part of the hit is Gelhart. He's just going to sit on the bench. Whereas yeah. if it's Fernandez to a Havertz, let's say, um, and then a Doherty to Cancelo, I feel better about that because it means I can bench Barnes or bench Broya and I can play Cancelo and I can play Havertz. I'll probably captain Havertz if I brought him in. 
Um, and I'd, I'd feel the same about captaining Mason Mount as well if I brought him in. So, yeah, on that, would you prefer, what are your thoughts on Fernandez and Barnes to Havertz, Mount slash Foden? Or would you go Fernandez and a defender to get Cancelo in, for example? I mean, we've, we've just gone through the whole video just showing like how decent Mount and Havertz have been and will be for the rest of the season. I, I quite like that move. And it will probably give you an extra bit of money in the bank to upgrade the rest of your defence. I haven't done the yeah. calculations, but if that move's going to facilitate the rest of your squad, you need a cash cow. You've only got 0.3 in the bank. If Fernandez is that cash cow, yes, it's in the double game week. Yes, it might not be completely optimal. Um, but if it, with the limited transfers you have until the rest of the season, if you're going to take a minus four, I think that minus four also needs to include some enabling for you and the rest of the and the rest of the season. So I would personally yeah. do that. Good points. Thanks, Dan. That's wise counsel. Very wise counsel. <laughs> Yeah, which is why I took a minus eight this week and I'm currently <laughs> yeah. sitting at um, a six million game week rank. So Yeah, but let's fun. look at your team. Your team is so well set up for this game week. <laughs> let's have a look at my team. I am very happy with this team, actually. Um, but again, I, I've taken some pain to get here. Um, I've got, you know, nine players left this game week, which includes Liverpool, City and Chelsea players. Uh, as well as the the second legs for Saka and Debravka and Sam Maximan. So it, it's not the end of the world. Hopefully I can uh, do some damage limitation for this game week 33. But for game week 34, pretty well set up. I think Captain Havertz is pretty locked. Um, West Ham at home, Man United away. Um, yeah. Pretty Yeah, pretty happy with that. Uh, whether I put the vice on James or Alonso is another matter. We'll have to see whether who, who plays against Arsenal uh, for the second well, well, for their only fixture in, in game week 33. Um, and, you know, it, it doesn't matter. I think Havertz is going to play um, both games for that. Um, I've got representatives from City, representatives from Liverpool, Saka against Man United. I think the biggest dilemma for me is whether to play Saka against Man United or Kulusevski against yeah. Brentford. I, I think Kulusevski was pretty lacklustre against, against Brighton, or I think Brighton did a fantastic job to contain Spurs. Um, and Kulusevski got really... Uh, angry and annoyed and lashed out at Cucurella. Very, very lucky to stay on the, on the pitch. But I thought, you know, the Arsenal game against Southampton, Saka should have got yeah. some attacking yeah. returns. Like the amount of chance yeah. he had. Um, yeah, Forster just denied that open goal, basically. Um, so crazy stuff. And against a Man United defence that's pretty porous, I think probably Saka is the one that I will opt for. But happy having some bench cover if the likes of Foden gets benched, for example. But yeah, having the having the Newcastle guys, um, having Norwich away is also pretty encouraging. But otherwise, just, just very happy with this team. I think it's going to set me up well for the remainder of the season. Have a free hit in my back pocket. Haven't decided whether I'm going to use that. I think it largely relies on when the City double gets allocated. I think Ben Crellin said he's likely to be allocated to game week 37, but we will, we will have to see. And um, I will use it accordingly, if it's even if it is in game week 36, just to maximise that. Or we could save it for game week 38. That might be quite fun. Yeah, I think Saka's a good option. Like if he's playing on the right, Manchester United's left-sided defence looks quite weak if uh, Norwich can expose, I think it was Kieran Dow playing out there. If he can expose Alex Tellez, I think Saka can do likewise. And 
Yeah, you know, I, I fear for what Salah can do to Manchester United's defence. Are you are you content with Saka? A few people are talking about potentially selling him to fund a Chelsea midfielder. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on Saka? I mean, I'm very happy keeping. I, I mm. think he's arguably the the mo- the best option in that Arsenal side, maybe other than Ramsdale. Um, but I mean, you know, Arsenal have been conceding recently, so maybe Ramsdale's taken a little bit of a uh, a dive in the expected pre- XG prevented stats. So, but yeah, I think Saka, you know, just to show that the, the chances he had against Southampton, he's definitely involved more than most. He's an excellent player, can score from anywhere on the pitch. Arsenal's fixtures are mixed, but they do have a double game week in 36. And I'm, I'm more than happy to have him against Leeds and Spurs uh, in that in that game week 36 option. If, if he's the only player that can really facilitate attacking uh, these Chelsea doubles, then... Maybe, but I would try and look for another player to remove. I, I would be adverse to removing Kulisevsky in advance of Saka, to be honest, because mm, yeah. you know even Spurs have Brentford and then Leicester, which we talked about earlier, is a really good fixture. You know their doubles pretty difficult in thirty six, and we're going to have another representative from Spurs and either Son or Kane, depending on your team structure. So I yeah. would look elsewhere. Basically, Saka's here to stay in my team. Quality player. I won't be looking to get rid. Um, yeah, agreed. Agreed. Are you going to be rolling your transfer this week? Yeah, I'll be rolling. Um, with the idea, the original intention was to move Sam Maximan down to fodder, and then um, who was it? Uh, Cody up to Cancelo. Oh, I like that. Can you I'm, afford that? I'm priced out by point one because. Oh um, no! Because uh, Cody went down in price. Oh, um, of course. So really it annoying. Up again, yeah. So even a four point five, you can't afford Saint Maximum to a four point five. Yeah. Oh no. Do you know when you know when Totti went down um, in price? Yeah. Right, four point four. Yeah. I was like, is he a forward? Is he a forward? Yeah. <laughs> it was, it's how obsessed we're of FPL. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can do that. Can tell him. Uh, I think he's a Wolves, but yeah, I haven't heard him. Okay. He's a he's a, he's a defender, annoyingly. But yes, oh. I. I might have to compromise and bring in someone like, I don't know, Van Dyke or something, um, who's 6.8. Not very inspiring attacking pick, though, so we'll have to see. But I guess it depends really what happens to the City double. Um, mm. If it's in 37, then maybe I don't need to prioritise Cancelo because I can free hit in 37. And um, maybe I'll be looking to sell my City players in 36 for other doublers. So we'll see what happens. But yeah. I feel like I'm in a strong position having really suffered this game week. So fingers crossed, no more red arrows for the rest of the season. Um, but you never know. Um, but yeah, I think we'll leave it there, Ryan. Um, great chat about about Chelsea. Hopefully that's helped you guys in the chat um, decide which uh, Chelsea player to buy. Uh, leave, leave a comment below if you're watching later on, which who, who Chelsea players, which Chelsea players are you going to buy? Is it two defence? Is it two midfield? Are you going to go for Timo Werner? Um, yeah, if you haven't already, please also leave the video a like. It helps our um, exposure, like helping the views and stuff. Um, yeah, a lot of effort went into this video. So please leave a like just to show your appreciation. Really, really appreciate that. And thanks to you, Ryan, for joining me, mate. Great discussion as usual. Um, best of luck for game week 33, the remainder of it. And um, yeah, hopefully you get even more of a big green arrow. Thanks, Ted. Bye, everyone. Yeah, see you guys. <laughs>